0: Hi there, Tyler here. Due to the length of this week's podcast, we've decided to split the show up into two parts. This first part is the introduction, the preamble, the overture, the the prelude, the prologue, the foreword, if you like. We cover a great amount of time between the end of the 360 tour and the beginning of Songs of Innocence. Later this week we will release the usual track-by-track review of Songs of Innocence. But for now, we hope this doesn't affect your listening pleasure and that you continue to enjoy the show. Thanks.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we're reviewing Songs of Innocence. out yet? What's going on? I don't know how to work iTunes. This is U2's best song in over 25 years. Something in you passed the blow. If they're going to give an album away for free, thank God it was this album. So we're back again with yet another season of Review 2. And this episode is about Songs of Innocence, but I think it'd be useful before we get into our usual uh, contextual update about what the band have been doing since the last album, to have a little chat about what this season is going to be focused on. So we finished with all the studio albums now, Tyler. Uh, well, after this, this one, yes, yes, just this one in the bag, and then we're on to... Although my worry is that by the time this
0: uh, review comes out, the new album will be here.
1: That's a good worry to have,
0: though, because it, it is does a good happen... worry. But um, yeah, and we are recording this in late December, very very late at night, and just today. We have heard a report by uh, BBC
1: Radio 1 or 2 presenter, Chris Evans. I'm not even sure if he's at that level anymore. His star has certainly fallen since he lost Top well, Gear. Former
0: Top Gear host, yeah. Chris Evans, um, today has uh, has told a reporter that the, the new U2 album is finished and has been finished for about four weeks um, and it could be released at any
1: time. But we would be absolute fools, as U2 fans, to believe with any certainty that the album is finished. Surely, you can't... I wouldn't believe Bono if he said this. Well, he has previously. And, I, and I don't believe that Chris Evans... Uh,
0: I don't believe he is a friend of U2. He may be, but I'm I'm not going to... He's, he's, he's told people that a, a member of the band has told him about this.
1: Which member do you think it is? Adam. <laughs> I, weirdly, I thought it was edge, but maybe that just says something about us as the uh, apologist and enthusiast, respectively.
0: But you know, if if it does come out, then that's great. Yeah, but, brilliant. And this it would make this in this review very very interesting because we are now reviewing Songs of Innocence with no experience of Songs of Experience. So when we do that that podcast, it will be very fresh. Yeah, and we're reviewing Songs of Innocence now. Um, in a way that it's not affected. We don't know what's what's down the line. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to review this in a way where we literally don't know what's next for you two.
1: And because of the um, structure of these albums, it's always been conceived of as a double album, in the same way that Blake's Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience, you know, came out. The second one came out and complicated the first one. Now, Blake actually didn't intend originally for it to be that way. I'm no Blake expert, but as far as I know, that's that's basically what happened. But that second edition obviously really complicates all the themes and the poetry and all of the kind of symbolism of that first collection of poetry. So we'll do the same for this record. Yeah. So we'll probably revisit it. So this season is going to be called I and E and B. That's Innocence and Experience and B for B-sides, because we're going to be looking at B-sides throughout this season. It's a catchy title, Tyler, isn't it?
0: I Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I'm not putting my name to that one, but yeah, okay, we'll go with that. Cool. So, yeah, here we go. We are, you know, we've caught up. We're at the end of Innocence now, mm. and we are expecting experience. Mm. So, a magical time for you 2 fandom. Uh, nervous time as well. And those are themes that we will talk about, but first we have
1: to find out how we got here. Yeah, a very very long period of time since uh, our recent experience with uh, No Line on the Horizon. Did it feel
0: like a long time to you?
1: Yeah, it really did. Um, I guess I actually moved on to really getting into a lot of other bands at this point. I mean, it yeah, was a I, good time. I agree.
0: I agree with with that because I. I don't know if there's ever been a time where my U2 fandom has wavered more to a point where it didn't even occur to me to to listen to them. Mm. For, for a long long time, we're talking maybe, you know, years I still would declare myself as a U2 fan. But I just hadn't
1: listened to any of the music for a really long time. But the other thing is that we were being told to expect Songs of Ascent at this point as a sister record or a companion record to no line on the horizon now it just I'm i don't going. i don't
0: think i believe that either because we heard this hmm. with uh, atomic bomb um and and that never came to fruition and they were always talking about that right from when the atomic bomb came out yeah so when they were they they were talking about songs of ascent which was the supposed to be the companion record for no line on the horizon it's like i don't i didn't expect that to come out
1: no i guess we'd we'd sort of learned our lesson by then the other thing is that if you've got an album like Acton Baby and then someone says, oh, you two are going to release even more of this kind of stuff, that's brilliant, you know, because you've got such quality. And then to go even more into that experimental kind of sonic territory as they did, that's great. It's a perfect opportunity to do that. But if someone says, hey, you two have got more stuff like No Line on the... I can't even say it. I'm mangling it. Um, (laughs) More stuff like No Line on the Horizon... Certainly, you and I imagine a lot of other U2 fans are not going to be that excited by that. To be honest, you'd listen to it, obviously, but you're not going to be thinking, "Great." What I, I suppose what I did expect, um, and this will kind of feature into a future
0: review that we're we're gonna we're gonna do a live season at some point. Um, and so, part of my 360 review would be that I expected a sister record of songs that would really propel that 360 stage to the heights that it, it was capable of but i don't think they did anything like that so I, I i i always remember the 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 epicness of that show and of the setting yeah but there was no, the
1: songs fell flat i think with the exception i'd say of crazy which, which they really remixed yeah it was almost a completely different song yeah. by that point apart from that central melody you know i think that's where they were kind of maybe heading towards but I think we're going to have to go back into the history of this just to work our way through, you know, the fact that they had three albums potentially coming out. You know, a traditional rock album, "Songs of Ascent," which was meant to be more meditative, um, something a bit more like "Moment of Surrender," I think, and then potentially a whole album full of dance records. So, do you want to start us off, Tyler, and we'll, and we'll get we'll go back through the context since the last album? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll pick up in two thousand and nine. Uh, you two
0: embark on the 360 tour. Uh, it was a tour that gained such accolades as the highest grossing tour of all time, with $736 million being made in ticket sales. It was the highest attended tour, with over 7.2 million tickets sold. I think it wasn't the top grossing of the year or something like that, because the Rolling Stones... Yeah. Charge a lot more for tickets, but U2 gigs were a lot more well, uh, you know, better attended. And throughout 2000 to 2010, every single U2 live show sold out. Wow, that's pretty incredible. That yeah, of course it is. Uh, I, I'm I was amazed when I, I I love U2, and I'm you know I'm never really surprised by the heights of this band. But when you tell me for a whole decade every show you played sold mm. out. That's massive.
1: And this isn't a very important point. This is not a Greatest Hits tour. And people don't expect it to be a Greatest Hits tour. And in a lot of it wasn't the best decade. No. But like it or not, you're going to see those new songs. Yeah. You're going to see Unknown Caller. You're going to sing karaoke. <laughs> well, I, I didn't. But...
0: Um, so we'll move forward to 2010. The band are forced to post- uh, postpone the North American leg of the tour as Bono suffers a serious back injury. This is the first time Bono starts to show his age a little bit. Okay. I can't remember how he hurt his back, but did he fall off stage or something? Was that something to do
1: with it? I don't know. I thought it was. I mean, it's just what happens sometimes. I mean, people as you know, you know, as young as you know, twenty and thirty get the kind of nerve problems and back issues. A back is a really badly, you know. And Bono does throw himself around a bit on stage. Yeah, he's jiving about. You know, I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier, to be honest. Um, but anyway, because of that injury,
0: the band um, postponed the North American leg of the tour and also have to cancel the Glastonbury to- uh, 2010 headline spot. Yep. Uh, a show which Edge did eventually play with uh, the replacements, Muse,
1: playing Where the Streets Have No Name. Any thoughts on that particular version? Reasonable version, pretty down the line. It would have been cool considering how experimental a band Muse are to go in a more pop mart direction. But then again, it's Glastonbury. I think people want you to play the hits in a classic form. So I think overall it was good and certainly better than another person's uh, version with U2, which you might get onto later on. Well, there was a big pop when they played that song and when Edge came out on stage. Yeah.
0: And I think before, certainly before we saw U2 play Glastonbury, we didn't know if the Glastonbury crowd was a U2 crowd. Yeah. Uh. So Edge coming out and the two uh, and the and the crowd popping like they did to see Edge play that song. Yeah. Really filled me with confidence. Probably filled the band with a lot of confidence.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think silver lining. That's a really good thing to come out of that whole incident. You know, they were able to test the water yeah. and you know send out Edge because he's the most likable member of the band.
0: Yeah. So um, going to two thousand and eleven. Now the band remaster Actung Baby for its twentieth anniversary. Uh, an album which I don't know if it needed remastering. Sounded good already. It, yeah, it did, and they brought out really annoyingly high-priced versions of it,
1: uh, which hmm. angers me a little bit. But, you, if, but if you were rich, then you'd be happy about that. You'd be happy to pay £400 so you can get some uh, Bono fly glasses. £400? It's insane. And you can't and actually, stickers. You can't, you can't actually buy
0: those glasses for like £150 anyway. Well, it's so. a bargain. <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> I, I, was, I was I was researching that over Christmas. Uh, I might actually treat myself to some flying glasses. Um. So yeah, Act Acton Baby comes out. They record the documentary from the sky down, all about about the album, about putting the album together and revisiting those songs. Yeah, some really good versions of the songs on that DVD.
1: Excellent, excellent documentary. I can't recommend it high enough.
0: If you are a U2 fan, I mean I, I that must have been one of the few things I, I really engaged with during my hiatus of being a, you know a hardcore U2 fan. Mm. Uh I remember watching that. It was on BBC and I, I watched that and was just pretty happy and you know it didn't bowl me over but I I was just it was I was entertained and it was nice to hear those stories being told and to see them revisit songs in a, a, a more intimate way. I think when we were re- yeah. reviewing Acton Baby and particularly Zeropa, we, we said, kept going to that idea of this is an intimate song. This, is some, this isn't big U2 stadium music. This is intimate, intimate ballroom kind of music. And that really came through on that documentary.
1: Yeah, although the only thing I wanted to add about that is it must have been a bit weird and potentially conflicted for U2 to go back to. One of the strongest albums, certainly a commercial and critical mega hit, you know, at the time when the band's future was actually pretty unstable. The last single, you know, that well, maybe it wasn't the last single, but Boots was still, you know, kind of the stink of that was still around. Yeah. Know? I don't think it's the worst thing ever, but a lot of people definitely did. So this is... I think it's the worst U2 song of all time. Well, I mean, and a lot of other people thought that, and the band were aware of that. So, in some way, it must have been nice for them to go back and think of, you know, look at these songs we've got. We've got one. We've got Wild Horses. We've got the Fly, and then the stark reality of, and we've got to play Boots at Glastonbury. You know,
0: I think Acton Baby for them symbolises a time where they dire straits, and they, not not that they joined the band dire straits, but they really needed a hit. Mm. They they need to do something drastic. So that much must be, uh, just this this signpost in the career that they need they need to go to the place they were when they did that not maybe not the physical place but the same place in their mind to create hits mm. um and it's not a bad place to start uh and and we got the eventual glastonbury show at, in 2011 which we all we got several friends around to watch yeah made the event of it, it was brilliant um and they played homage to Actong Baby in a big, big way. I think the
1: the first I can't remember if it was five or six songs. I think it was six songs, yeah. Incredible. I mean and I was insanely happy about that. Yeah. Interesting that they still played Get On Your Boots. But they have to because it would be an admission, it would be an admission rather, of like, okay, we all know this song is crap. But it, but it's embarrassing. It's
0: <laughs> it's embarrassing that they thought No, or maybe people get it now. Two years on, and they it's just, like they a just fine didn't wine. get it. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mature at all. It's a really bad song. I love how the, the tank of hatred is still not dry here. No, it's not, and it never, ever will be. It. I, I'm embarrassed because in 50 years, 60 years, 100 years' time, whenever, when you know all you 2 fans are gone, and people are rediscovering... Music of this. Oh, all, all century. current U2 fans. Yeah. Was, well, you know, we don't know. Find it. We, we, we don't know. I, I don't think there's any, like, proper diehard Elvis fans like there used to be in the 50s and the 60s. Okay, but go on anyway. But, like, they're going to stumble across that, and it's going to be in there among songs like One and whither Without You. Uh, and Sunday, bloody Sunday, great, great songs, and Pride in the Name of Love. It's going to be in there, yeah. and the, it's just—it's such a huge blemish on, okay, a scarred
1: but otherwise quite beautiful face of you 2 Maybe I think um, listeners who are interested to see Tyler's ire at full force should go back to uh, that particular re- uh, review. But um, so where are we up to then, Glastonbury? Yep, so they have just done the Glastonbury set in 2011. Uh,
0: so, let's go back. After No Line on the Horizon, you two announced plans of a follow-up record, Songs of Ascent. This album was the first of several works in progress that ultimate, ultimately got shelved and, as of yet, haven't been released. Bono wanted Songs of Ascent to be hymns for the future, songs that would last forever. And a lot of it, were, were, it was off-cuts from No Line on the Horizon. Uh, Well, as I said, people aren't interested in hearing more of that stuff. Yeah, and as good as you two are, I don't think even they can get hymns in the top ten.
1: No. Um, It's also so ridiculously hubristic. I mean, I I try not to call out Bono on his hubris, but songs that will last forever, you know, future hymns. It's... Well, maybe maybe it was just a bad
0: day... Bono, that he thought that was that would be a good idea. But by all accounts, they did try to put this album together. They also tried a couple of other a couple of other albums uh, with producer Danger Mouse. That was a more rock centric song. And, Wasn't uh, that the
1: more dancey album?
0: No, the more dancey album was with Will I Am. Oh God! Uh, but Will I Am was
1: huge. I'm not saying he was great. Yeah. But he was he was everywhere at that time. But I just think it's them straining to like work with like basically. Bono asks his daughters who's like the coolest new band, and they say I don't know Will I Am or Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, and he's like, and he instantly phones up because he's Bono. He, Will I Am has to take the call, and I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm being unfurther, un- but I mean, wasn't David uh, Greta involved or Greta involved in this as well? I think they did one or two, but I don't think they started recording an album. Mm.
0: Like those two, the projects with Danger Mouse uh, and with Will I Am were albums yeah um so you know that it seems like you two at this point are uh, they attempt to make an album or two and then make another album it's like they try to do something mm. ridiculous and then go back to basics and why don't they just go okay why don't we make a u2 record we're u2 we, we've made a lot of money being u2 why can't we well, when are they going to stop chasing the ratings
1: Yeah, I see what you mean there. I think the honest answer is just because they were so aware and so sad about the way No Line on the Horizon turned out. But the problem with that record was a lack of focus. So why sit down and try and write three different albums? No Line on the Horizon is three different albums. So just make focus on one. And I think this is where they got some good advice from Rick Rubin, although the sessions didn't go well because of the way they... The whole production method is totally at odds. But Rubin, and I don't know if this is disrupting the timeline too much, but he pointed out, um, and this is a quote, that the group often used the studio and particular, you know, kind of sounds and textures and a Brian Eno here and there to disguise the fact. And this is Rubin that they didn't have a song. So Rubin was saying you need to have the songs present already; otherwise, it's all just trickery, you know, and, and bleeps and bloops just to cover up that fact. Works with Zuropa, but that magic isn't striking at this point, and they're flailing, to be honest.
0: Yeah, well, it must have been a, a tricky time, but I would have, I would have liked to be in the studio and just seen what they were working on. I would I, I am interested in seeing the the complete stuff that they did. with I Danger want to hear Monster. it all. I, yeah, I do. I really, really do. Uh, it, I want to hear the good and the bad. I'm glad I can listen to No Line on the Horizon. I, I am, you yeah. know, I'm glad it's there. I'm glad it wasn't just Shell, because you know you you wonder then. But i'd like I would like to see what you two cast aside and and don't revisit,
1: and maybe one day we will get to see that and hopefully we will it'll almost be worse if it's amazingly good quality and it just happens to appeal to us in the same way that I get so angry when I listen to um the things that weren't on unforgettable fire yeah but we'll we'll come back to that later uh, on in the season um
0: right so now we're in two thousand and thirteen. Uh, many U2 fans are surprised by the release of a brand new track, "Ordinary Love," written as part of the
1: "Long Walk to Freedom"
0: soundtrack for "Long Walk to Freedom" the Nelson Mandela biopic. Uh, I actually thought that was a really, really good film.
1: I've still not seen it, so I can't it's, comment.
0: Um, I, I did see it, um, and I, I, I saw it a long time after it came out. Yeah. Uh, but I thought the song was great. You sent me a message. Uh, and told me it was, it had been released, and yeah. I and I was n- very nervous, very anxious. I didn't want to put because I I think when it's just a single, and there's no sign of an album coming out, I, I I'm I'm limited by how much I'm going to like it. And it, it's for a film. Yeah, it's so I wasn't
1: expecting much, but actually, really beautiful song. Holds up, very simple, very beautiful. Personally, prefer the Paul Epworth version a lot more than the original. Yeah. But it's a great song, beautifully produced, and gave me hope that there were good things on the horizon.
0: Yeah, it, it certainly was a a little bit of sorbet after No Line on the Horizon. Um, and then after that, we didn't need to wait that long until the new song Invisible came out in February 2004, Again, a surprise. It was announced uh, in a commercial during the, um, I think the halftime show of the Super Bowl that year. Yeah. Um, and again, free. Every download, the the Bank of America donated one dollar to Red. Yeah. Um, Up to a uh, predetermined maximum, apparently. Cheapskate. I think they did double it. I think I think they bowed to pressure.
1: Well done, Bank of America. (laughs) Um, But that was a that was a great song. That was incredible, and it was exactly what I wanted to hear. Yeah,
0: it it sounded so fresh and so new, and so like you know, again, just building. You know, you're building yourself up, and you start to look forward to the new two record after really not occurring Yeah, when No Line on the Horizon came out. Yeah, so this time. Rumors start circulating that there's going to be a new album, a new tour, and it's imminent. It's imminent, and there's rumors and there's rumors and there's rumors. U2's longtime manager Paul McGuinness leaves the band as the management for the band is signed over to Live Nation, signing a 12-year contract. Um, and we think, okay, so they've you know they've shifted managers, new management, album's coming going to be a summer release it's going to be great Mm -hmm. and it doesn't come and it doesn't come and it doesn't come and i think by september everybody just the anticipation you know there's a climax of the anticipation and then it lulls and it lulled and it went and i remember i got a text very late at night because you two announced the album on the apple the yearly apple show where they announce all the new iphones and ipads and all that stuff Mm. Um, I got a text very late at night. You two just released the new album. You can download it now for free.
1: Who is this text from?
0: Uh, this was actually uh, from my landlord's father. <laughs> um, and so I texted a few friends. You would have been the first person I text. And... I've got
1: what you wrote here written down, or I think an approximation, which is I think you two has just released a new album. Right, okay. Like, you know. You can You can hear the excitement. It's scintillating, yeah. (laughs) I think there would have been an exclamation mark in
0: there as well. Um, And they release it free, and it's on everybody's iPhones. Now, there's been a lot said about that, and we know that that was an unpopular decision. Personally, I think it's pretty ingenious, because it got people talking Yeah. about um, Being Kind, an aging rock band. Uh, And, you know, it opened up discussion. The band later apologised, but we're not going to talk about that because it's been talked about enough
1: yeah we need to put a sort of cap on on this because every single other um review particularly the scathing ones pitchfork i'm looking at you and you can sod off frankly um they just talked and talked about this review and how people's rights had been violated by the fact that something they'd actually agreed to on their phone because they, they hadn't bothered to read through all the terms and conditions that if you're subscribed to something and i know i'm doing what i said i wouldn't do but it, it really annoys me. Yeah, it really annoys me. It it doesn't anno- like it's not,
0: it's not the worst crime in the world to put an album on on someone's phone. Yeah, it's insanity. And it was a test. And they haven't done it since it was a test. They were gonna test it one way or another. Yeah, you know they might as well do it with one of the most successful bands in the world. You're not gonna please anybody no matter what band you put on there. But it was a test, and okay,
1: it, it people didn't like that. I think it succeeded though in terms of. It got people talking about the band, and the worst thing, as I think someone, maybe Edge job Bono said, is that if people had just ignored it, that would have been much worse. So, And I I don't think they were sincere in that apology, and I don't think they should have been sincere in that apology. That album is infamous, infamous now. Yeah, And exactly. it always will be. That will be the album everybody got for free. Yeah, and it's Christmas time. They gave you a gift. If someone gives you a gift, if you don't like it, you don't whinge about it, you don't say, throw it back in the face, you just, you know, don't... Plug it in, or you know, kind of open it, or anything like that. But before we get into the album review, yes.
0: There, there were there were a few things that happened during Invisible. Uh, well, after Invisible, up until the album came out, <laughs> and I think someone may have been trying to kill Bono, because Bono been watching a certain film, had they? Bono was mid-flight when his when a, when one of the doors of a plane on the plane fell off.
1: I completely forgotten about this as well. Yeah. Right,
0: a couple of weeks later, Bono breaks a lot of bones in his body by falling off his bike
1: bike in Central Park in New York while dressed as a, an Hasidic Jew. Right, that's a rumor, though, isn't it? We didn't confirm this. We're gonna just end up spreading the same rumors that uh, you and- talking you two to me did.
0: I believe this. Okay. I believe this, uh, and it's not come from you talking you two to me. This has come from I think Edge said it. But
1: did he say it? Or, or Bono
0: said it. That would be the thing. But the, this is why I believe it. If Bono is cycling through Central Park in New York, there's going to be quite a you know a lot of people are going to be interested in that.
1: It's a good disguise. There if is it no
0: anonymity. He puts a hat on some of the curls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. You know, and 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 the and he's invisible. The attire, like in the song. Then, yeah, you know, it, it's just New York City. No one's going to look at that. So I do believe it. I certainly believe Bono was in a disguise. If it wasn't that, they've said that because Bono doesn't want to know people to know his real disguise.
1: He could just change disguise and not the same one. <laughs> he's not. He's not Mister Ben. No, but he could be Mister Ben. He could be. He could be anything. He could be a. A baker or a candlestick maker? Baker, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I would I would just like to have an appeal to um, any any anyone who knows. Can we get a firm source on this and clear this up? Because I can believe it, but it's also such a weird thing. I I do believe it. I completely believe it. There's not
0: an element of doubt in my mind about that. Okay, fine. Um, but you two were supposed to play Times Square. Uh, a red concert, a, a mini concert from, f- as far as I can tell, the back of a lorry. Um, yeah. Which obviously Bono couldn't make because he had to. Well, he was in hospital. He,
1: he really did break a lot of bones and had a lot of substantial nerve damage. Yeah, which is really serious. I mean, I know breaking a bone is serious, but nerve damage is bad stuff. So Bono is replaced by two lead singers.
0: The the uh, the, the band. Uh, is quote-unquote called Substitute 2. Substitute.
1: Just rolls off the tongue, doesn't yeah,
0: it? Yeah, it's terrible. I hate it. It just doesn't work. So it's Bono, Edge... No, sorry. It's Adam, Edge, <laughs> Larry, and lead singer number one, Chris Martin, from Coldplay. Now, I'm not going to hate on Coldplay. They're not my favourite band. I do like Coldplay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think Viva La Vida is really great. And I think my Milo Zylotto is really great. Oh, and Ghost Stories is the best album I've ever done. Okay, fair um, enough. A lot of people would say the first albums were the best they've done, but I- I'm a- I'm a Coldplay fan and I-, I do listen to the music. I'm also a Coldplay fan, so I'm not hating on 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 Chris Martin or Coldplay here, but Chris Martin is neither the front, front man,
1: nor does he have the range, or of- that he- that Bono does. Why do you think they picked the the songs which on paper, work well in front of a big crowd. Obviously, you know, two of the greatest hits. We got Beautiful Day and we got With or Without You. But, yeah, it's not the right songs for Chris Martin's voice. And he's got a beautiful voice. Very different to Bono's. So, Chris Martin comes out first and
0: sings Beautiful Day. And it's terrible. I mean, it's really bad that I'm surprised Larry wasn't completely red-faced and embarrassed. Um... They then go on to do With or Without You, which is bad, but nowhere near as bad as Beautiful Day. (laughs) After that, the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen, comes out and they do Where the
1: Streets Have No Name. And I have to admit, that's pretty good. That's not a bad version. Other people have said this, but it sounds like Bruce Springsteen doing a Bruce Springsteen impression. Which is what Chris Martin didn't do. Chris Martin should have done a Chris Martin No, Chris Martin should have sang it the way he does instead of singing it the way Bono does. Yeah, I think he got lost somewhere in between Chris Martin. I I liked Bruce in it. It never fails to make me laugh when I watch that thing. You're you're not a Springsteen fan, though, are you? I'm way less of a fan of The Boss than I am for, say, Coldplay. I really respect Bruce Springsteen, but just like The Stones, some reasons never connected with me as much as, say, The Clash or or Craftwork. I've only listened to
0: two Springsteen albums.
1: Um, and I don't think the his
0: most critically successful albums either. Um, I don't I don't even know the names of the albums. One's with the Devil and the du- a Devil a Devil and Dust album. Uh, it's kind of a country one from about two thousand and five. And then there was one after that from about two thousand and seven, which had Radio Nowhere on it. Obviously, I'm not. A, 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 this isn't review, Bruce. Re r- 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 Bruce? No, I don't Re- think. I
1: no. Don't think that's gonna okay.
0: Work. All right. Um, so Streets is good. And then still haven't phoned. Now, regular listeners of the show will know I'm not a big lover of this song. And it's made even worse by Bruce Springsteen. This was not a good concert and you two would have been much better getting uh, Arcade Fire, Coldplay, Bruce Springsteen to play it as a gig of, you know, one of those bands.
1: It's a big logistical reorganisation, that, though. And the other thing I want to say is I I think we're really just talking about the fact that you have such a pedigree in terms of live performance. This wasn't very good. We get the fact that people were actually pretty generous to stand in to you know put themselves in a particularly awkward position, but they just performance-wise it wasn't very good. No. I would have picked Brandon Flowers to do um some songs rather than rather than Chris Martin. Um but that's just that's just me. I think he's got That a would better be, I range would be, the... I would love
0: to see that. I know they they did the thing with McFisto recently. Uh, Spring. Uh, yeah, Brandon Flowers was in on that, uh, and Neil Patrick Harris, my man crush. Um, so yeah, let's do something like that. In fact, in fact, the song after songs of experience. Let's get Brandon Flowers and Neil Patrick Harris. Let's do a let's do a show. I'm drifting away from this idea quite quickly. <laughs>
1: um. So that's pretty much everything that happened. I mean, it felt like we just relived it. How many years was this? Five or something? Uh, what, how many years have we been recording? At least ten. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what that's what was going on.
0: Quite a hectic time. Well, the, the last year of that was certainly hectic.
1: But it was a long time. Yeah, huge amount of time. It is the longest time, isn't it? Yes. And, again, this is not an easy time to be a U2 fan. They are becoming... Irrelevant, you Irre- can say it. Yeah, irrelevant to most people. And... As that's occurring, as the musical credentials are going down, obviously there is more and more focus on Bono's uh, philanthropic work, on what a lot of people um, rightly or wrongly perceive as hypocritical, as hectoring, that kind of thing. So that's making it more difficult. The last big release that anyone can remember was a song about Boots. And it's worrying, to be honest. But the album arrives, and it's very, very exciting. And I think it would be a good time to go track by track. Unless there's anything further to add to this gargantuan intro. (laughs) I think think we've covered everything. So, from
0: innocence to experience, fall into the shiny sea as we review to Songs of Innocence.
1: The Miracle of Joey Ramone. Now, this almost seems like a song...